Today on Bread for the Broken with James Grizzle, pastor of Calvary Chapel, Galveston. God's with this young man. God's with this person. God's with this person. That should be a testimony of all of us as well. Because we live in Egypt. This world is Egypt. It's not our home. Heaven. Heaven is our home. New heaven, new earth. Right now, we all live in Egypt. Right now, we are kind of like Joseph. You may not be in prison, or you may not be working for Potiphar, or working for the Pharaoh. You may not feel like these things, but right now, you are being used by the Lord. There is a job. There is a mission. How is the Lord using you in this world? You have an opportunity to be a light. Whether it's in the workforce, at the grocery store, or in your own home, the Lord has placed you where you are for a reason. He'll use you if you're willing. In today's message, Pastor James teaches about Joseph's influence on others despite his circumstances. Pastor James asks you today to evaluate your life and ask yourself, are you any different than the rest of the world? Have you allowed the Lord to change your heart and, in turn, your life? Now here's Pastor James in the book of Genesis chapter 40 with today's edition of Bread for the Broken. Genesis chapter 40 is where we're going to be today. This chapter is kind of near and dear to my heart, just in a weird way, and I'll explain that to you in a second, but you can turn there. Genesis 40, just so you understand where we're at, we just go through the Bible. That's what we do. There's a lot of rhyme and reason to it, if you just honestly look at it. It's like we start at one at the beginning of a book, and we we just go through it. Where we'll go from Genesis, I don't know yet. I'm just always praying about that. We walk, we're walking through this book, Genesis, and so we start at the beginning, and doing that helps us to get to know these characters, and they were real people at a real point in time in history, um, but we get to like follow in their footsteps, just kind of watching them live out their lives, and just they're, they're normal people. They're not like super saints. They're not super holy. They're none of that stuff. They're just normal people that God said, I'm going to pick you, and I'm going to pick you, and I'm going to use you and your family to do all this stuff. And they have normal reactions to situations that, you know, we probably would react and respond the same way. And then sometimes, you know, they respond a lot better than what I ever would, being accused of trying to go after, you know, trying to assault another man's wife and then getting unjustly thrown into prison. Joseph's pretty cool about the whole thing. I'd be losing my mind. Um, I'd be so upset. But we just get to learn and we just just watch, you know, as, as just Lord uses normal people. And, and the, the good thing about that is he's still in the business of that. I mean, you and I fit in the qualified category because he qualifies us. So with that, you know, Genesis uh, 39, we, we looked at Joseph. He was sold into slavery by his brothers who hated him because he was a favored child. He gets bought by this man named Potiphar, who is a high-ranking official in, in Egypt at that point in time. I think it's 
somewhere anywhere from, I think it was 2000 to 1960 BC is, is the time frame of this deal. Very prosperous time within Egyptian culture, and uh, they were thriving at this moment. And so Joseph gets sold into slavery. He, he just so happens to get bought by Potiphar. Um, he just so happens to end up in his household. And uh, he's a stud. He is, uh, I mean, an absolute stud. And we talked about that last week. The Bible doesn't give a lot of physical descriptions to its characters, but for Joseph, it did. Good-looking dude, well-built, like, and Potiphar's wife took notice of that immediately, and she had eyes for him, not in any kind of good way at all. This is all, like, lustful-type stuff. Um, so she's pursuing him. He's st- making a stand for righteousness and saying, I- I'm not going to sin against my boss, who's your husband, uh, and I'm not going to sin against God. That rejection on his part, rejecting her and her advances, ends up getting him, you know, getting him put in prison. And... So that's where our story picks up today. So within chapter 40, and it's a, it's a short, concise little story about Joseph and, you know, a, a cupbearer and a baker and all this good stuff. The reason why this kind of has a special part in my heart is about 20 years ago when I was at Bible college in Southern California, Marietta, I signed up for this class teaching like children's ministry, how to, you know, do that. At one point in time, I liked little kids. Now I'm getting older. I'm like, you know, I just, they're so loud. Um, I've, I don't know what's happened to me. I'm becoming an old man. But, um, but I, I signed up for that class. And, uh, and so I was, you know, I showed up in that class and it's actually where I met my wife, Nellie. She's upstairs teaching children. So we were both in this class, class together, and we had this fantastic teacher. She was the uh, children's ministry. Uh, she was the overseer at uh, Calvary Chapel Marietta. And so she was walking us through this. She was like, here's how you teach this chapter. And so she had us doing all this goofy, silly stuff. And I will not make you do it. But I mean, there was just that certain words. You had to stand up, and you had to do this. And it's just all how to get kids engaged in the story and everything. And it was perfect, because I still remember it. And I was like 19 years old at the time. I still vividly remember doing all this crazy stuff. But it was this chapter that there, there I am standing next to who would be my you know, future bride and 18, 18 years later where we've been married. And it all kind of started there. And Genesis chapter 40 kind of has a weird special place within our hearts because we were acting goofy together and learning how to teach kids the Bible. And we're still doing it to this day. So uh, the goofiness has definitely not worn off in our house either. So still pretty prevalent there. But this, for, this chapter, it, it, it's fascinating. This thing is a complete display of the sovereignty of God. Big fancy word for he's in control. He's in control. God is in absolute, total control of everything happening right now. You can turn on the TV and you might doubt that right? I don't care what channel you go to, but it is absolute chaos in this world, it seems like most of the time, right? So everything that we're presented with is that this world's out of control, this world is really bad, and you know, all this stuff, all this stuff. And it really, it's, it kind of will distract us from the fact that, well, no, God's in control, you know, and we may not understand all the things that are happening, and, and it, we're never going to totally understand all, or the rhyme and reason behind things, and at the core of what we believe, we hold fast to the fact that God is in control, and he is going to work everything out perfectly, perfectly. Maybe that will happen within our lifetime. Maybe it won't. But you'll stand before the Lord, and all things will make sense, I believe. And through the course of eternity, I'm sure things will make sense. But he is in control. And even in the story where Joseph, I mean, he gets... His brothers were trying to murder him, and then they had a change of heart, 
so to speak. And so they sell him as a slave. And, and in the midst of that, even Joseph as a young man, that, start, that story started when he was around 17 years of age. This kid was so resolute in his commitment to God. He was saying, nothing's going to derail me from following God and understanding the fact that he is in control. So my brothers are selling me as a slave. Am I happy about it? No, nobody would be, right? You'd be insane if you thought that was a pleasant experience. Obviously, wasn't, wasn't happy about that. He gets you know, transported from Canaan and Israel, what would later become Israel, from there south to Egypt to a whole new foreign world. He doesn't speak their language. He doesn't understand their culture. These are totally different people. Like where he's from, you would grow your beard out. You know, that was a sign of like, you, that's what you do. In Egypt, they hated facial hair. Everybody's clean shaven. I mean, it's, it's night and day, even culturally speaking. So he's, he's showing up on the scene there and everything is, it's upside down. It's just, it's upside down. So he doesn't speak the language. He, he knows absolutely no one there. And he's got to start from scratch, essentially, and he knows this one thing. God is with me. God is with me. How do you survive those times in your lives? You have to realize that he has never left you and he will never forsake you. You have to hold on to that. I'm telling you right now, through all the difficulties we may face in this life, and there will be plenty that I think each and every one of us at times will experience, we have to know that he is with us with us, through the storm. He's with us. I mean, that's how Joseph survives. And, and not even that, you know, we would think the worst thing, like being sold as, as a, I mean, he was trafficked. I mean, human trafficking right here. He's sold as a slave and he, he succeeds. He excels and Potiphar recognizes that. And everything that Joseph touches turns to gold. I mean, he's so smart and business savvy. I mean, just an intelligent, bright young man. And Potiphar's house is succeeding, and his crops and livestock, everything is. And then he, he gets thrown into jail. Now, the, the nice part about that, just you know, transi- transitioning from 39 to 40, Potiphar was probably bummed out that he had to get rid of Joseph. Joseph would have, if he was just a normal slave, he would have been executed. He would have been killed. There's just no question about it. For being accused of what he was accused of, they would have just taken him out and just executed him. That's That's it. But Potiphar put him in, you know, in prison. And, and it's still prison, but he, he put him in prison. And it never says that Potiphar was ever angry at Joseph. If anything, he probably was upset at his wife because he probably knew she has a history. But so he's out. He's out this awesome guy. And, and there's Joseph in prison. And, we, and it just seems like, you know, it's just going down. Like he's just going to hit rock bottom. But his heart never changes, his attitude never changes, his outlook never changes. This is why he's one of my favorite characters from the Bible. and, And he is so because I want to be like him, and I'm probably furthest from him, right? Like, I just, I admire this kid so much. And now he's, he's obviously growing up and everything. But look at verse 1 of chapter 40. It says, sometime later, so this is after all that stuff. He's in prison. Sometime later. Pharaoh's chief cupbearer and chief baker offended their royal master. They, so you got the cupbearer and the baker. Um, we would think that these are just kind of like two normal jobs within the kingdom. It's actually not. These are like two of his closest uh, comrades, so to speak. These guys would have complete influence in the life of Pharaoh. They work side by side with this guy. So the guy who is in charge of the cup bearing, like he has to, he's a secret service agent, basically, 
I mean, he has to make sure that nothing is poisoned because back then, you know, anything that was brought to the king was a, a cup of wine or, or whatever. This guy had to be the one, he, he had to be the one who had to taste it first. He said, oh, hey, somebody, you know, dropped off this bottle of, you know, very nice, expensive wine for you. Okay. Well, oftentimes, if you didn't have a cupbearer, that could be poisoned, and then you're out, and then there's a takeover. So the cupbearer's job was really, he's the first line of, of defense, so to speak, for, the, for Pharaoh himself. So he's going to taste it, and they're going to watch him, right? What a job. Like, what a job. Like, they're like, hey, drink that. So let's see what happens. And everybody's just watching you. He's not dead yet. Okay, let's, you know, pour, you know, pour me a cup. But so that's his job. But he was very close. And when you see cupbearer, you always think of Nehemiah. Nehemiah. Nehemiah was a cupbearer to the king. That was his job. He was very close with the king. The baker. This is the guy who was in charge of all the food that would be served to the king or to the pharaoh in this case. So these two men had to be completely trustworthy individuals because one's handling the wine and one's handling the bread. And you're going to, I don't know if you'll see this. I didn't always pick up on this. It actually wasn't until last night when I was just kind of studying back through this. And then John Corson, I was reading, I just glancing over his commentary and he had just exposed like, I was like, oh yeah, that makes sense. You're going to get a lot of references for cup bearing, which always equate in your brain to wine. And the baker always equate that to bread, bread and wine, bread and wine, bread and wine, all through this chapter. Okay. Kind of, that's what we do with communion. Although it's grape juice, we don't do wine. If you use wine, that's fine, whatever. But Bread and wine, they, these things would, were always presented to the king, to the pharaoh and his family, and these guys had to be trustworthy. Something happened to where they committed an offense. They offended the pharaoh. They did something, and it gets them thrown into jail. So these guys are probably the most trusted individuals, but they're always the ones being watched. Because you have to, I mean, if anybody's going to get you, it's going to be one of these two guys. So you have to kind of keep an eye on these guys as well. You trust them, but only so far, only so far. I can't even imagine the stress of that job, right? Day in and day out, like not only even as the cupbearer, do you, you have the threat of dying yourself just by drinking something that's poison. But I mean, the Pharaoh, the king himself, if one little thing, he's upset with you, you're out. And it's not like you're fired. You go to jail, like you go to prison. That's it. So... The stress would be absolutely insane. It would be crazy. But he, came, he became angry. Verse 2, it says, Pharaoh became angry with these two officials, and he put them in the prison where Joseph was. So they just so happened to end up in prison with Joseph. Just so happened. There were probably other prisons and other places for these guys to go, even some darker dungeons. But they just so happened to end up in Joseph's care, Okay. And I'm using that. I'm placing a lot of emphasis on that. I don't know if you picked up on that yet. But um, I don't think things just happen. I think the Lord is in control. And I think he's just moving pieces of the puzzle around. He's like, okay, hey, Joseph, don't worry. I know you're in jail. I know you're unjustly there. But I got a plan. I'm going to rescue you out of prison. It's just going to take a while. But in the meantime, I'm going to work out all this stuff. And he's really, Joseph will, will be allowed to kind of grow up during this whole process. Because even as smart as he is, he still has to become a mature young man, right? You can have all the wisdom and knowledge and all that stuff. There still needs to be maturity. And so the Lord's just taking them on this journey. So they end up in the, the same prison where Joseph was. It says, verse 4, they remained in prison for quite some time, and the captain of the guard assigned them to Joseph, who looked after them. Now, remember, when Joseph was placed in prison, it was the captain of the guard who immediately noticed that there was something special about Joseph, just like Potiphar had. 
This captain of the guard, what he saw was that Joseph was a godly young man. And everything he did, everything that he touched, succeeded. And that, that's just because of Joseph and just his commitment to the Lord. He's like, I'm just going to serve God. I'm, I'm just going to serve God. And the, uh, Potiphar noticed it. The captain of the guard's going to notice it. Pharaoh eventually is going to notice the same thing as well. Everybody had the same. Everybody in the world, Egypt is a picture of the world. Everyone in the world noticed the exact same thing about Joseph. God's with this young man. God's with this person. God's with this person. That should be a testimony of all of us as well. Because we live in Egypt. This world is Egypt. It's not our home. Heaven. Heaven is our home. New heaven, new earth. Right now, we all live in Egypt. Right now, we are kind of like Joseph. You may not be in prison, or you may not be working for Potiphar, or working for the Pharaoh. You may not feel like these things. But right now, you are being used by the Lord. There is a job. There is a mission but you're living in Egypt, the world. I would hope individuals who are of this world would notice that there's something significantly different about you. There's something different about you. They noticed it about Joseph. So this captain of the guard is like, all right, you got these two guys, and he just assigns them to Joseph because Joseph's like his right-hand man now. So yeah, he's in prison, but he's, kinda, he's got a job there too. Like He's already been put in charge of... Watching over some prisoners. It says, verse 5, while they were in prison, Pharaoh's cupbearer and baker each had a dream one night, and each dream had its own meaning. When Joseph saw them the next morning, he noticed that they both looked upset. Why do you look so worried today? He asked them. Uh, here's the good lessons, good practical lessons on, on Joseph. He was in prison. Uh, this is not a place he wanted to be. This is not a place where he deserved to be. But he is serving in prison, and not only is he doing that, but he is looking out for the well-being of other people as he himself is in prison. You want to know what I'd be doing? I wouldn't care about anybody. I wouldn't care if you were down. I, I wouldn't care. I'd be so focused on myself being like, man, this is, this is a bum deal. I don't deserve to be here. I'd be so just consumed by my, you know, everything that's going wrong. And God, where are you? And why is this happening to me? Why are you allowing this stuff to happen to me? Not Joseph. Joseph's there and he's like, all right, I'm here. God's still with me. God, what do you want me to do? There's two prisoners you're going to be overseeing. He notices that the next day that these guys are so like downtrodden. He's so in tune with these guys. He takes his job seriously that he has even, he doesn't have to ask them. But he comes alongside these guys and says, hey, guys, what's going on? Man, how can I help you? Are you okay? Are you okay? The guy who's unjustly in prison shouldn't be asking those questions, but the guy who belongs to God and is serving him, he, he understands that, that, you know, the acronym of joy, right? Joy, it's, it's Jesus, others, and then yourself. And that's how Joseph lives his life. He's like, Jesus first, then I'm looking after others, and then I'll worry about myself you know, but I'm not first. I'm not at the top of the list. Why are your faces so downcast today? Just really good lessons that we learn from this, this totally normal young man at this point in time. Verse 8, they said, uh, they replied to him, we both had dreams last night, but no one can tell us what they mean. Uh, and Joseph replies, interpreting dreams is God's business. Joseph replied, go ahead and tell me your dreams. Now, here is a dreamer who understands dreams because he's already had two dreams himself. That kind of got him in this predicament, okay? So remember that. He's like telling his brothers, he's like, oh, yeah, I had this dream. You guys are all going to bow down to me. And they hated him even more. 
And then he gathered his whole family after the second dream. He's like, oh, yeah, the stars and the moon. and the, Yeah, you guys are all going to bow down to me. And even his dad rebuked him, saying, like, Joseph, bro, he's like, you can't do this. You can't keep doing this. Cause, and sure enough, that just fueled the fire for his brothers. But he understood dreams. He got it. But here's, what, here's what's key about this. He understood that the interpretations for dreams belong to God. Belong to God. Sometimes we place too much emphasis on dreams. The Bible actually doesn't speak a lot about dreams. There's only like three instances throughout the entire Bible where dreams are like, you know, you know kind of put in the spotlight. It's like here, and then it's in Daniel, and then uh, a little bit throughout the book of Matthew. Okay? So we don't put a whole lot of emphasis in dreams. Sometimes the Lord can give you a dream. And I would just encourage you, if the Lord gives you a dream, that you would go to the Word of God to see, what does this mean, okay? What is, what are you, Lord, what are you trying to communicate to me? I've had that with individuals. They've had dreams, and they're like, hey, I had a dream about you and all this stuff. And I'm like, eh, let me check this out with the Word. And most of the time, it's like, I'm like, I don't know. Maybe, was it Taco Bell? What'd you eat before you went to sleep? Like, were you listening to one of my teachings? Because don't do that. Well, that might put you to sleep if you're having problems. But um, like, no, no, you know. Sometimes the Lord will use dreams to communicate, and for sure, and especially in this, in this day and age, in this world and where they lived, dreams were a big deal. They were a big deal. But these guys both have dreams, and they have no one to uh, really to bring clarity in their hearts and their minds. And Joseph's like, well, it just so happens that I'm connected to the God who knows how to interpret dreams, and I've had dreams myself. Tell me your dreams. Let's see if I can help you out. So again, he's there asking how they're doing, but then he's also going a step further and he's ministering to their needs. He doesn't have to do these things. Just throw them some food and some water and just move on with your day, Joseph. Don't waste your time on these guys. He's like, no, there's something wrong with these guys. I need to pour into these individuals. I need to see what's going on with these guys. So they tell him their dream. Chief Cupbearer told Joseph his, his dream first. In my dream, he said, I saw a grapevine in front of me, and the vine had three branches that began to bud and blossom, and soon it produced clusters of ripe grapes. I was holding Pharaoh's cup in my hand, so I took a cluster of grapes and squeezed the juice into the cup, and I placed the cup in Pharaoh's hands. All right? So, so there's a dream, and there's some, a little bit of significance there with, you know, there's three vines and the crushing of these grapes, and, and you know, really at that point in time, it's just grape juice is all it is. But um, he said, this is, this is the dream he had, and he's trying to figure out, like, well, well, what does this mean? And I really love these chapters when it says this stuff, but it also gives you the explanation, right? Because then, because sometimes these things are hard, right? You're like, well, I don't know what that means. I have no idea. But Joseph's like, oh, I got you. I got you. No worries. Verse 12, he says, this is what the dream means, Joseph said. The three branches represent three days. Three days is pretty significant in the Bible. I don't know if you guys know that, but we're going to celebrate something that had three days, you know, at the, you know, really at the forefront of, uh, you know, the most important event in history when Jesus dying and raising again. But Joseph says, in three days, three days, Pharaoh will lift you up and restore you to your position as his chief cupbearer. So clearly, whatever happened... The cupbearer was an innocent individual. Something happened, but the cupbearer was maybe grouped together with the baker, and they both were thrown into prison. So here you have Joseph, who's unjustly in prison, and on both sides of him, there are two criminals, and one will ultimately die. Spoiler alert. Um, one will die. The other one gets saved. Huh, that sounds like, uh, sounds like an Easter story I remember about this guy unjustly dying on the cross, and on both sides of him were two criminals. And one said to him, hey, can I go with you? 
where you're going. Hey, don't, don't forget me, Jesus. Can I go? And Jesus says, hey, today you'll be with me in paradise. The other one was mocking and didn't even care about NSF, and he ultimately died. And it ended up to his, his destruction. The historical stories we've been reading about in the book of Genesis are filled with lessons that we just can't ignore. Adam and Eve chose to disobey, and the consequences meant separation from God for all of mankind. Sin entered the world and grew so great that God had to step in. Noah and his family were spared because of their devotion to the Creator, and Abraham's nephew was saved for similar reasons. God does look after those who call Him Lord and who follow Him with all that they are. God's compassion goes even beyond this. He sent His only Son to earth to die in our place, removing the punishment for all of our evil deeds. Jesus' life provided a way for us to reconnect with our Creator and begin to live a new life covered in grace. All we need to do is realize just how sinful we are and how we're unable to do enough to warrant the acceptance of our perfect Creator. We then need to accept that Jesus, who is God's Son, lived a perfect life and then took our sins to the grave. He defeated death three days later. Because of this, He's offering us grace and forgiveness for all of our sins. All we need to do is say yes. We pray that you choose to say yes today. We'd like to encourage you right away to get involved in a local church. And if you're in the Galveston area, we'd love to have you join us. Calvary Galveston meets Sundays at 10 a.m. And you can find directions online at breadforthebroken.com. With that, our time with you has come to an end today. Join us again on Bread for the Broken, where you'll find hope and new life in Jesus. Let me paint the picture of you, man, who I love, man, and give